Hello, welcome back to the Sound Like Antics podcast. He's Matt. I'm Sam. He will not be driving for Alpine next year, <laughs> nor will I. And that's just the way it is in an official statement. <laughs> you absolutely just shat on what I was going to do. I can't believe you. Oh my God. This is so funny. I know, I know, like, not many of our viewers are interested in Formula One. A lot more but... are than you think, though. Basically, if you're not a fan of Formula One, um, a we team has uh, well, yeah, a team has come out and said that a driver will be driving for them next season, and then the driver, about twenty minutes after that, then put out a statement saying they're lying. I'm not racing for them, and it's causing a big hoo ha. And yeah. uh, I yeah. had this whole thing for the intro planned where I was going to basically take the Mickey out of everything that's happening on Twitter and just reconfirm that I will not be driving for Alpine next season and so Rob was ruined it yeah but <laughs> now we can move on to other stuff to talk about like for example Madai, it's home football has come home wow this is yes this is absolutely amazing Sigura so why don't you tell the ladies and gentlemen if they've been living under a rock what's happened the Lionesses, the female England first football team, have won the European Championships. The first England team to win a European Championships, I might add. The last time England, an English team has won a major football tournament was in 1966, you know, with Bobby Moore on that, the, the, uh, the World Cup. Mm. And at that time, women we're not even able to play football. And now look where we are. We're at a point where our most successful football team is the, the females. And uh, do you know what I found out today, Matt Dyer? Do you remember um, in the Sweden game, Alessia Russo, aka the love of my life, um, <laughs> did that back heeled goal? Yes. Her, shoot, her um, boots that she wore that day and scored that goal with are being stored in the Tower of London next to the next to the Royal. Oh like, fucking hell! <laughs> next to the Crown Jewels. That's incredible. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I saw it earlier um, on Instagram. Load of photos of her, like actually giving her boots over to it and everything. It was nuts. Um, That's ridiculous. But yeah, so lionesses have basically the memes have been: um, you send a man out to win a trophy. 60 years later, the women the women come home with it, which has been quite amusing to see. Um, but yeah, incredible achievement, incredible achievement. It's very good, Sigour, it's very good. But do you know what else is very good? Go on. We are on episode 47 of the Sound Antics podcast. Incredible. We're nearly at that 5-0. The big 5-0. God, I, I don't know why I feel nervous. Do you feel nervous? No, I don't feel nervous. But the realization that we're halfway to a hundred is and realization that in anyway, doing some uh, quick maths in five weeks' time we'll be recording one year after we started this. It's it's just mental. And I was actually going back through some of the episodes earlier this afternoon. I was listening yeah. to them. And we sound so different now. Like like we said in the last episode, when we were reminiscing a bit, mm. um, 
yeah, I mean, I, can you remember anything we, we have done in these 50 episodes? Do you know what's absolutely crazy is in all these episodes, the start of He's Madam Sam has never repeated itself, I don't think, unless I've done it purposely once. I can't remember. Somehow. Yeah, you've always changed it up, haven't you? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know how I, I'm that creative. I never knew this about myself, so. Oh, there we go. Um. So right, in the meantime, we're not quite at the fiftieth episode yet. So let's um let let's crack on with this week's episode and uh how the devil have you been well over the last two weeks? Two weeks for us, isn't it? I mean it's been a week for the listeners. So, how have I been? Um I went on holiday, went to Somerset, was in the middle of nowhere for a good week, which was absolutely fantastic. Um I came back to Southampton um feeling very refreshed and ready ready to go um which was good and i saw the infamous matt dyer oh yeah he did yes that's true how did you only, yeah, it was only a few page. days ago <laughs> and saw little rubes and glenn and ashley which was absolutely amazing um and honestly like every time i meet up with you guys i just yeah i just remember and feel so thankful for the fact that actually we have this friendship where the three of you can just accept me back into the dynamic without like any like not issues or tension or anything like that but like just with so much ease and like i never left that's um, cool. i'll tell you something that's what friends do even though we don't see each other for a while you know we're all we're all we're all god's children so Grover. yeah and you you guys are the type of friends that wouldn't um cancel plan say on my birthday <laughs> no absolutely we would not do something no. like that no no shame not all my friends think that way anyway sorry um... i i shouldn't laugh so girl <laughs> like, honestly, honestly like, i agree anyway let's not with... let's let's not get bogged down with that okay. on the podcast on the podcast okay we won't air with that launch on the podcast um but yes i am going to be 27 by the time this as reached your lovely lovely ears um i should say something profound and meaningful but all i can say is i'm, I'm old i'm old my body so aches would you, I'm would you like me to do a dramatic reading of the popular song happy birthday in your honor yes i would it'd be funny if you said no i wouldn't i don't feel like i, I could even say that to be honest okay. with you well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do it anyway, so. <clears throat> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dearest Sam Cropper, BA Ons, former Guinness World Record holder, <laughs> international podcaster, and all-round lad. Top chap. Top chap. Happy birthday. To you. There we go, Sakura. Oh, thank you, Matt. Thank you. I'd actually like to dedicate that song to the woman that birthed you because it was her birthday first. Well, yeah. As as of the time of recording, um, it is my mum's birthday today, and so Sakura, I think you should do a dramatic reading of the popular song "Happy Birthday" in aid of my dear mum. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dearest Matt Dyer's mother. <laughs> 
happy birthday to you. Gosh, you'll love that. So go I'll I'll play I that to actually, her. I can't actually like put her actual name in it because obviously we don't do that for parts of family. So it but that is as that is as personal as I can I can make that for her. It was incredible, Segura. It was incredible. So thank you for that. But enough about birthdays and how I've been, Matt Dyer. What I want to know is, in the past two weeks, how have you been, Sausage? Well, Segura, uh, the temperature seems to still be warm. Um, it's not really gone cold. <laughs> no, it hasn't. No. Um, I am okay. I'm trying to think of what I've done. Um I last week went to visit my mum, stepdad and my brother and we went out for a meal to an American diner and I had the most ridiculous burger I've ever seen oh in my, my life. Oh my god, yeah, you're right. Um, so we had that and then next week we're going on holiday, which we are looking forward to. Yes. And I think that's about it. <laughs> Literally not. Oh, so go on. I do have something to say. You don't know this yet. Oh, God. So I went yesterday to the popular UK clothing shop, Primark. Yeah. Um, because I needed to buy some new boxer shorts. Um, as you do from time right. to time. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not the type of person that goes out and buys Calvin Klein at, like, £30 a pair. So, you know. So I went to Primark, and there were uh, three for a fiver. So I thought, not bad. We'll take that. I misread the packaging. Right. So when I got to the men's undergarment region... Um, oh of the shop, of the oh shop. God. Sorry, I should say. Jesus Christ! <laughs> sorry, of the shop. Um, decency. <laughs> the way they package the, the way they package them is they don't show the entire um the the entire short. They fold it over right. several times. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of in a rush because I was quite tired. I like woken up at like four o'clock that morning. Oh um, yeah, I remember this day. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to. Go home, basically. Um, yeah, so business and go out. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I picked up what I thought was a packet of box shorts, and right. so I got home, and they weren't boxer shorts. They were briefs. You bought budgie smugglers. They were briefs. They were. Oh God. They they were pants, Sagora. And I immediately swore several times. <laughs> and then I tried one of them on. Yeah. It was, it was not a good look. It was not, anyone... not a good look. And if um, anyone can hear Matt's um, intonation slightly that little bit higher today, it's because he's got something constricting his gentleman's region. I'm not going to lie, okay? I, uh, I'm not going to... You know, be like a like you know, oh yeah, you know, I got a massive slong because you know I'm not going to do that. Oh, but no. it, it, I don't want to reveal the truth. It, no, that's it, I'm just going to say it, it didn't actually properly fit in this underwear, and they were extra large. So 
Matt Dyer's got an extra extra large schlong, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, so let's move on second from that. So moral of the story, don't be an idiot. Read what you're buying. And before anybody asks, no, I can't take them back because Primark <laughs> don't accept underwear returns. And before you ask, reasons. no, he doesn't. No. <laughs> oh, ain't shoes. And now it's time to pass over to the angriest man I know in a surprise segment that I know nothing about either. Matt I please take it away. Hello, everyone. Um, unfortunately, I haven't got an angry man views for you this week. And as right, we I'm, did... fucking, I'm kicking off. This is... No, 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 no. Give me out, Sagora. Um, Two weeks on a trot. And as I did... Amazon reviews last week, I thought I'd come up with something a bit different, kind of combining our favourite things from previous podcasts. Oh, from previous podcasts, okay, right. I was was getting really confused, wondering how you're combining women and food. (laughs) Jeez. So I was, as I alluded to in the introduction, I was listening to a few older episodes of the podcast earlier on. And I was listening back to our Halloween episode, Sekora, way back in October of last year. And I did some spooky short stories. Yes, you did. What I thought I would do is, in honour of you doing fucking long stories, I would go onto Reddit, which is your favourite website for this podcast, and I would get two short stories to read to you i feel like you're um i feel like you're paying homage to the king of sam cropper i'm 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 speechless please take it away now i must just stress that my story reading storytelling sorry Mm. skills are not as good as sam cropper and these two stories i've chosen are a bit dark Full on. Everything you would come to expect from the Sound Antics podcast. Oh, fucking brilliant. A bit of smut in there, because we've not had a smut cast for in a while. No, I don't think there's any smut in this, though, oh, considering well, one's about a daughter and one's about a coma. Take it away, Ernie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take it away, Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> what was that from? <laughs> Harry Potter and the Prisoner. Oh, yes! <laughs> the fucking bus! <laughs> oh, man alive! That was brilliant! <laughs> so you've got Hagrid down to a T and the fucking head <laughs> on the bus. And anyway. As well. What are you doing down there? <laughs> anyway, so what are you falling over for? We got things to crack on with. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Carry on. This one is entitled, I am in a coma. Would you like some dramatic, uh, spooky music to go with it? As long as it's not copyrighted or trademarked. Very good. Would... I will use my voice. Uh... How are you using your voice and going to read it at the same time? I can't. <laughs> I was going to say. Let's crack on, Sigur. So. Crackle. 
I am in a coma. Yes. I don't need to interrupt. Now I know what it's like when I interrupt you. I've been dreaming two years. They call it a coma. But I can hear everything. Today is visiting day. Go and sit down next to Daddy, Lily, and don't touch anything. Lily, my daughter, four years old and the most precious thing in the world to me. And my wife, Marie, Lily's mother, telling her to behave as she always did. It's bittersweet to hear them. I can hear everything, but they don't know that. To them, I'm just sleeping. It's still worth it. Lily, Lily, what did you do? Put it back. Always misbehaving, the little rascal. Marie should cut us some slack. She doesn't mean any harm. Sometimes I think she just... She just... And that's the answer, Gora. She just what? So I... <laughs> what does she do? The previous sentence I read was, Lily, Lily, what did you do? Put it back. She's just disconnected the life support machine of her dad. And he I died. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I feel stupid. <laughs> oh, that was so... actually quite good, but I'm sorry, I, I was too dumb to pick up on that. There we go. That was, uh, that was um, I am in a coma. Hmm. So He's not anymore. No, no, he's dead now. Uh, the the comments in this are hilarious. Um, so someone's just put, "Oh no!" <laughs> someone underneath has put, worst, <laughs> worst, "Worst ways to go," I suspect. And then someone else has just gone, "Beep, beep, beep." Oh God! Someone else has put, "Lily's playing Don't Wake Daddy on a whole other level." Oh, <laughs> oh, Lily! Oh, I'm gonna leave. Leave this. This is the last one I'll do. Someone's put. Oh, Lily's in trouble. And then someone <laughs> underneath it. Someone underneath it's put. No, nah, I think Dad's more in trouble. If I'm honest. <laughs> We've said it before, and we'll say it again. The internet is undefeated. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. Um, next one, Sagora. I'm going to crack on because this one's a little bit longer. Um, okay. It's almost going into your territory, um, but it, it is a good one. Okay. Um, it's entitled, Our daughter was deemed dead, but she showed up at our house. Ooh. Are you ready? I'm ready. Alina disappeared on July 18th at 10 p.m. Exactly. Our baby, our happy 13-year-old, our blonde hair, green-eyed, tall and smiley princess, gone without a trace. It was strange. She was in her room one minute. My wife went to check on her and she was gone. My wife and I called the police. They conducted a thorough search. The police were absolutely dumbfounded. There wasn't a single sign of forced entry or exit. 
not through her window or her bedroom door. She just disappeared. Poof. Gone. Please, please bring our baby Alina back. We love you so much, baby girl. Please, please come home. I'm not going to do the voices like you do, Sogoro, because I, I not do voices. <clears throat> My wife sobbed on TV, hoping our daughter would return. If you took our girl, please, please bring her back. She's everything to us. We both had tears rolling down our cheeks. This cycle continued for ages. Our baby Alina, please come home. Months had passed, no sign of our daughter. Me and my wife took our places on TV, begging, pleading, crying for someone to return Alina back to us. We were distraught. Even more time passed, and Alina was finally deemed dead. They stopped searching for her. My wife and I continued spreading awareness about Alina's disappearance. We were heartbroken. My wife's sobs wrecked our home at night. My tears dampened the carpet during the day. Our neighbours continued to mourn with us and for us. We received countless... <laughs> I'm sorry! <laughs> this is... I shouldn't laugh, but... <clears throat> um... This is not the word I should, would have... This is not what the item I would use. Our neighbours continued to mourn with us and for us. We received countless casseroles. So many, we had to raise them. <laughs> oh my god, it's like that guy with his pastry. <laughs> That's literally what I was thinking uh, We received countless casseroles. So many, we had to freeze them. So you can imagine everyone's overjoyment when our baby walked to our house in the middle of the night. On July 18th at 10pm, exactly, to the damn second, our daughter returned a year later. I hate you so much. You're you are such an Play it again. I was enjoying that. That's Thomas the Tank Engine. It was. Ah. Mine wasn't done on purpose, though. Yours was. God. Oh, that was brilliant. That was absolutely. I got you back. I'm so glad because honestly, I've never shot myself more when you got me last week. Can I finish my story now? Oh, yeah, please proceed. I'll stop now. So you can imagine everyone's joy when our baby walked to our house in the middle of the night on July 18th at 10 p.m. exactly to the damn second, our daughter returned a year later. Parties were thrown. Celebrations took place. We were interviewed for hours upon hours. How do you feel about Alina's return? My wife would answer. I would hug our baby and wipe tears from my eyes. We are absolutely over the moon. 
and completely elated, our princess is back safe in our arms. We cherish every living moment with her. She's filled our hearts with joy once again. Our family was still in touch with the cops, searching for the person who took Alina. Upon her return, our baby girl was given so many gifts, she was absolutely ecstatic. She returned as a smiley, happy girl, the one we always knew her to be. But my wife and I weren't convinced. Despite Alina being exactly the same, we couldn't help but feel confused. Alina was here, happy and healthy, returning a year later on the dot. But who was this child? Me and my wife strictly remember choking her till she was purple in the face, till her breathing stopped, till her heart was still. So who on this goddamn earth were we celebrating? Because me and my wife can pinpoint our Elena's grave to the dot. Jesus, that took a turn. Was you expecting that? Yeah, I was not expecting that. That was years. That's the last thing you expect when you go to work in the morning, Sagora. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. No, that, was a, that was a good that was a good story that I enjoyed that. Good. It's quite nice to be on the other end of this. Yeah. Well, you say that, Sagora, mm. but my time is over. Oh, no. And we have part five of our final part of the story to complete. <laughs> What's it called? Be, be Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> so, oh, I'll tell you what, Sagora, let's go to our next section. Well, Sigrobber, it's time. It's the final part of our five-part series of Viva Cabin. Mm. And um, obviously, to, to, to get you over to Sigrobber, we're going to have to cross over the Bridge of Banter and visit our friend Sigrobber, where he will be doing many voices, I'm sure. <laughs> wow. In our section, story time with Sam. Now, before you all gather round, might I sidebar, merch idea, t-shirt with a bridge on it saying Bridge O'Banter. Fly Absolutely. off the shelves. Yep, we need to get on this ASAP. <laughs> anyway, back to it. So gather round, everyone. This is the final part of Viva Cabin. Now, uh, we left it with uh, he has just this is more for Matt Dyer than you guys because it's been two weeks for Matt. Um, this is more... <laughs> yeah, I generally can't remember. <laughs> so we at a point where um, his Camilla, not Camilla Puckerballs, but Camilla, yeah, is um, she spent time with the mum in this nether. Oh, yeah, the mum, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and our Mr. Fever is Ugh. 
running around trying to find out who was the real serial killer, the real machete killer. Um, so he's out, he's trying to find all of that out. And I'm just glanced at the first sort of few paragraphs and it looks like we're about to reflect with Uncle Johnny, a.k.a. Matt Dyer. Hagrid. (laughs) (laughs) Getting with you for Quidditch, are you? (laughs) Okay, here we go. I often think about the last summer I stayed with Uncle Johnny. We made quite the pair. Me, a sulky 17-year-old, denied the company of his peers for two months, and him, a wheezy 60-year-old man who liked smoking, watching TV, and occasionally building things out of wood. There are a few things more dull to my teenage self than nature and hearing an old man talk about how much bigger herring were back in the day. Though, I'm sure, I wasn't exactly the best company with my eye rolls and all my sarcastic remarks either. One day, we were out on the lake when we heard gunfire. It wasn't uncommon in these parts of the woods. There were multiple campsites on one end and a popular hunting lodge at the very heart of the forest. Damn little men got to scare away all ducks. <laughs> I've forgotten that voice. <laughs> I'm just picturing Hagrid talking to the three uh, in, in Harry Potter, just saying, Damn little men got to scare away all the owls. Hagrid, <laughs> come back! Uh, Uncle Johnny grumbled, throwing another fist of crumbs at the water as he shifted his weight. He'd gained quite a few over the year. I think he's talking about weight here. And I'm surprised the old wooden bench he constructed still held up so well. Little men, I raised an eyebrow, watching the ducks fighting over the crumbs. It takes a man to feel big to give you like that. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome oh, back to the Sam Antics podcast. Oh, hang on. I'm going to take a quick drinks break. Two seconds. Hey, Sam. I'm Matt. Oh, God. He can't read a story without coughing. Mm-hmm. And I can. And that's just the way it is. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> It takes a little man to feel big when he kills something poorly. Uncle Johnny had this way of nodding as he spoke. A visual underscore to the point he was making. The smaller the man feels, the more blood he's willing to spill to feel big. <coughs> Peter. <coughs> oh, oh. oh, terrible cough. <coughs> terrible cough. I think that was the first time I really started thinking about why people kill anything. A thought process which would eventually lead me down my chosen career path. Even today, with all the different correlations and conclusions we've drawn from criminal behavioural patterns, at the back of my mind, I still hear Uncle Johnny talk about little men and what they'll do to feel big. The lockdown took me by surprise. So much had happened since Camilla and I left the city I was hardly prepared for the empty streets, closed shops, 
and the occasional masked pedestrian scurrying in and out of buildings like rats. The GPS had started working again, and I let it guide me down the shortest route to our apartment. As much as I wanted to grab some things and keep going, the limits of the normal world were starting to kick in. I barely made it to my bed before knocking out. I don't know for how long I slept, but the world felt very different when I finally woke up. I was ravenous enough to find an old can of beans in one of the cupboards and gobble it down straight from the tin. As I ate, the events of the past few days played back in my mind, each more bizarre, bizarre than the last. Where I possibly my mind went, I nearly said bizarre. <laughs> <clears throat> was I going crazy? Or was my wife really hanging out with a bunch of dead girls in the woods? I laughed then. A first nervous laugh. Then a full madman's roar. There had been too much nervous energy constricted in my chest and it just felt so good to let it go. After calming down, I got to my laptop and connected to the Wi-Fi. The time and date updated, showing me impossible numbers. A month. That's how long it would actually been since Camilla and I packed up our things and rode off in the late afternoon, bickering like a married couple from, from the pan, panels of a boomer comic. Hey, I don't know. I'm assuming like a comic book, but I don't get the boom, boomer comic. I, I, I don't understand. Anyway. <clears throat> I guess that's what snapped back my mind into place. Despite the absurdity, I can't say that word, absurdity. Absurdity. Thank you. Of it all, the mere fact that so much time had passed proved otherworldly. If I was only a crazy man stumbling around the woods hallucinating a supernatural crime drama, how had I not starved to death in that time? I grabbed my backup semi-automatic, plenty of ammo, and drove to my office. The entire building was in lockdown, and the sleepy guard shook his head at me, pointing out his face mask. After a frustrating back and forth through the glass with me waving at my badge and claiming urgency, the man finally let me in. I headed straight for the storage room where we kept all the files for the machete case. I had a lot of scans on my laptop, but not all. The storage box contained something of immediate importance to me now. A timeline of all the crimes. According to the lead investigators on the case, the first machete victim had been killed in the late 2016. That timeline had factored into my profile, no doubt, as did the signature staging of the victim's bodies in the trees. Having learned about the death of Camilla's biological mother, however, I realised just what sort of cunning individual we were dealing with here. My initial profile had indicated a man with an average to low IQ who struggled in relationships with women, had a menial job, prior convictions of sexual assault, etc. That was Henry Briarwood, all right. But it was not the profile of a killer who had managed to evade capture for three decades, evolving as he went along. No. We were dealing with a chameleon. Someone who had started young and honed his craft over the years. Someone 
who'd kept a low profile for most of his life and knew how to make women feel comfortable around him. A man who probably had a wife, kids, maybe even hosted some little league games. Someone who was meticulous and fully in control of his urges, never letting mishaps get in the way of his work. Something must have happened to that man's life in 2016. Something that triggered a killing spree that he disguised as the new Machete Killer signature. As much as I wanted to hole up for the next three weeks, reading over every crime scene and coming up with a new profile from scratch, I knew that time would not allow for it. There were greater forces at play here, forces that had Camilla. So I pulled up the documents on the other two suspects, the two men I had dismissed almost instantly for not fitting the original profile. One was a 30-year-old creeping... One was a 30-year-old campground peeping Tom. Too young, I thought. The second, however... Hmm, the second was starting to look more probable. Richard Sutton was a 54-year-old local freight company owner. He was a native to the area, but had moved west for college, where he met his wife and settled down in her hometown. He had moved back to the area following a messy divorce in... You guessed it, 2016. And set up a new office branch in the city. The cops had pulled him in for questioning in 2017 due to harassment complaints from women who had seen local media coverage of the case and feared that they could have been potential victims. This guy did fit the new rough profile, and I wish I could remember questioning him, but my mind kept drawing blanks. There had been nothing remarkable or memorable about Sutton. Nothing I could put my finger on, especially after he'd been so obviously overshadowed by, by Briarwood. I couldn't remember what he even looked or sounded like. A perfect chameleon. My next move was purely intuitive, but a total breach of protocol. I pulled up the guy's address and took off to go and see him. I don't know what I was expecting to find or what I would do when I saw him. Honestly, at that moment, I felt like a mere marinette with an invisible puppet master tugging me along on a blind adventure. I pulled up to Sutton's house, a neat two-story in one of the city's nicer suburbs, and rang the doorbell. No one answered. But I thought I could hear feet shuffling on the other side of the door. This is Fever with the FBI, I called out. The door opened a sliver, with the chain still in place. A bloodshot eye peered out at me. Mr Sutton, I'm here to ask you some questions, I announced, flashing the man my badge. I promise to remain at a safe social distance and not touch anything if you let me inside. I was pushing my luck, and I really hoped Sutton would bite. But he didn't. The door slammed with a crash, and I heard footsteps hurrying away. Drawing my weapon, I jumped a gate and made my way to the back of the house, scanning the windows for signs of activity. Nothing. I tried the back door, not really, to, not really surprised to find it locked. This was the moment where my actions stopped being questionable and became downright illegal. 
There was no time to think, only act. As the surreal urgency of my mission crept up my spine, I could lose my job for this. The whole vigilante arc rarely fared well for agents. But there was no turning back now. I shot the lock and the door swung open. I darted indoors, not waiting to see the curious heads of neighbours popping out to see where the noise was coming from. A disturbing scene greeted me inside and I realised the wealthy suburban facade only spread to the exterior. Sutton's kitchen was absolutely disgusting. There were dirty plates scattered on every surface and takeout containers littered on the floor. Countless empty vodka bottles lined the walls. The smell of rotting food and stale booze made me cover my nostrils with my left elbow as I moved further into the house with my weapon drawn. The living room was much the same at first glance, a typical hoarder's dwelling, with more booze bottles, old newspapers and random piles of trash just scattered around. A second look revealed a more sinister truth behind the stack of old newspapers on the coffee table. I walked up to the yellowing piles of papers and felt my stomach sink as I saw that they were actually a gathering of carefully selected articles. The top one, a well-preserved two-page spread about the tragic death of a pregnant girl by the name of Leanne Summerton, an out-of-town hitchhiker who mysteriously died on the side of the road 32 years ago. Unable to help myself, I leafed through the other pages. Dozens of light-haired, blue-eyed, dead women looked up at me. Different ages in a variety of different counties and states, a broad spectrum of death, some suspect of foul play, others simply a missing person report. My trembling hands dropped the newspapers as I struggled to keep my breath steady. I stepped into the monster's den, only half expecting this to actually be the guy. Through another appraising glance at the room, trying to find potential hiding spots, but I couldn't see any. That left upstairs. I took careful deliberate strides as I ascended the steps, cursing every squeak my old leathers produced. Without backup, the odds were in Sutton's favour, and I couldn't, I could easily be walking into a trap. I stopped before reaching the top of the stairs, wiping sweat off my face as I gathered the courage to face the man who practically killed for a living. Richard, I'm just here to talk, I called out into the silence trying to garner some sort of reaction, a hint of the subject's location. Look, we can sort this out. I know you've been going through a tough time. The state of the house indicated a ma major lapse in control, which meant Sutton was spiralling, probably experiencing some sort of breakdown. Nothing. No response. Not even a creak from a floorboard. The first room to my right was the master bedroom. I threw the door open, rushing inside with my back to the wall, gun at the ready. I didn't see him. Not at first. He looked so small, crouching down in the furthest corner of the room, his bloodshot eyes half-glazed, but definitely glued to mine. He stared intently, raising the shotgun with, a with trembling hands until he 
pressed the tip of the sword-off barrel into his quivering lower jaw. I knew that I'd seen him before, recently at that, but I couldn't quite place the face of this reduced, dishevelled man. That was until he opened his mouth, releasing that signature moan that will forever haunt my dreams, that guttural, mechanic wail that escaped a gaping, dark hole of a mouth. I'd recognise it anywhere. You, I gasped, as the tongueless man shoved the shotgun into his mouth and fired, painting the walls of the bedroom with a nauseating mix of blood and brain matter. Oh my God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's no logical explanation for what happened next. I did not call an ambulance. I did not call any of my superiors. Attempted to explain the circumstances in which I discovered Richard Sutton's last act of defiance. Only one thought ran through my mind as I wrapped up his mostly headless corpse in sheets. You do not get away with it this easy, you son of a bitch. Though he was surprisingly heavy for his lean frame, I still managed to carry Sutton's body outside and dump it in the back of the pickup. I hoped the sheer fact of broad daylight and my confident manner wouldn't arouse too much suspicion from the neighbours, though, honestly, I was past caring at this point. Hitting the gas pedal, I barreled through the city streets until I was on the road leading back to Uncle Johnny's cabin. I slowed down when I got closer to the place where my wife and I had first spotted Richard Sutton running out of the woods. I didn't know how we had crossed from one world to another. The last thing I wanted was to show up at the real fever cabin with a dead body in my pickup and no evidence of any sort of paranormal activity. Once again, I wondered if I was just a raving lunatic and again my intuition told me no. I wasn't. I was never one for supernatural stuff and I always snickered at the psychics who were sometimes called upon in cases. But even I, with my limited views on these things, could see how decades of inflicted pain and terror could thin the divide between this world and the world of the wronged. An hour of driving, I started losing faith in finding that same dirt road that had started this entire ordeal. I frustrated, I looked at the GPS, which was still working. Another sign of failure. Finally, I decided to just turn off the road and drive, try driving down the next dirt road into the woods. And within five minutes, the GPS started lagging before turning off altogether. I kept driving, vaguely acknowledging that I'd taken a turn to one of the many lakes Uncle Johnny and I used to visit all those summers ago. I thought I'd escaped it. An unremarkable voice spoke at my side. And I nearly swerved off the road when I saw a young Richard Sutton sitting in the passenger seat. Oh. Panicking, I hit the brakes and turned to face the man who had brutally murdered dozens of women across the country. I reached for my weapon, knowing full well how futile of a thing it was against a dead man. <laughs> Don't worry. You're not exactly my type. I stared at the youthful monster as he peered into the thick forest around us. He was just as Camilla's mother had described, neither handsome nor unattractive. Not short or tall, just bang average. 
there wasn't a single detail to latch onto. Not a mole or a twitch, a funny looking sweater, an odd haircut, nothing. Everything about Richard Sutton was unforgettable. And I realised that that was deliberate. Curiosity stirred in my temples. And I found myself wishing we had more time to talk. I wanted to dig around Sutton's brain and learn the hows and whys of his life. But that's not what this was all about. It's not really that interesting, Sutton offered a response to my thoughts. And it doesn't matter how, now. I don't want to tell you that your job isn't important because in some ways it sure is. In other ways, it completely misses the mark since it doesn't account for the fact that some of us are just born this way. I know you'll be looking into my life agent and I can tell you now that you'll find nothing. You won't find any problems with my mother or father. You won't find any hints of me abusing animals as a child or being socially awkward with my peers. I'm the average Joe on paper. And my compulsion to kill has roots in something that a data scientist can hardly hope to explain. At the end of his speech, the young Sutton opened the car door and jumped out of the pickup, leaving me with the following words. I should really get going. I'm not sure I want to stick around for what happens next. You just keep going until you reach the lake, Agent. It all ends there. So that's what I did, shaken as I was. I just kept going, my mind racing, but also going ever so slightly numb. I guess at at that point, I just didn't know what to expect anymore. And if anything, that gave me the advantage of accepting whatever came my way. The lake was still haunting. A soft mist playing on the surface of the water. The forest trees assembled around the shore in dreary attendance and their tall shadows moving on the ground below my feet as I walked with Sutton's lifeless body in my arms. I'd left the sheets behind, and it was hard to look away from the remaining half of the face of the man who had caused so much devastation in these very woods. Upon reaching the shore, I let his body drop into the shadowest part of the water, sending ripples across the lake. I took some steps back, distancing myself from the body and waiting. Some emerged from the woods, others rose out of the water. But there were too many to count, though I did get to the number 17 before just giving up altogether. They were all beautiful and young, dressed in a variety of fashions that reflected the trends of their time. Blue eyes glimmered in the twilight. Some with tears, others others with vengeance. The victims of Richard Sutton approached his body. Some kicked at it, others screamed. The spirits of Katie Reader, the one who looked so much like Camilla that I recognised her immediately, bat right into what remained of Sutton's vaping, tongueless mouth. I took his tongue, you know. Katie said to me, smiling. He had driven up here with his last victim just before you and Camilla came. She was so much younger than the rest of us, only eleven. When he killed her, our mutual rage grew into a force that helped us permeate into the physical world, and I tore that tongue right out of his sick face. 
The youngest victim appeared beside Katie, her eyes pleading. Please, Mr. Fever, please find the shed. My body is in there. Oh, my, my parents God. need to know. Of course, I murmured. Then louder. All of you, I will find every one of your cold case files and make sure that the world learns of the truth about your deaths. Many women smiled at me, probably for the first time in his life. Others nodded in appreciation. To my side, I heard footsteps and turned to find Camilla walking out of the woods with a girl that looked like her younger sister. Fucking took you long enough. Camilla laughed, running up to me for a kiss. You're a lot more eloquent in your letters, you know, I teased, wrapping her in a tight embrace. This is my mother, Leanne. Camilla pulled away to take the young girl by the hand. Nice to meet you, I nodded, feeling the familiar pang of anxiety that always accompanies seeing an in-law. And shaking my head at the absurdity of the feeling given the current circumstances. Leanne Summerton gave me a shy smile as she took my hand, but said nothing, turning instead to Richard Sutton's body. The other girls drew back and fell silent as the very first victim approached the corpse. Camilla's mother bent down and put a hand on Sutton's chest. I will never forgive you, but now I can forget you. As soon as she said it, the sky above the forest exploded in a bright purple glow, the same tinge of colour that saved me and healed me from the leeches. The victims of Richard Sutton stared up at it, some were laughing, others smiling. Many cried tears of relief. One by one, they floated up into the sky, letting the purple flames envelop them in eternity. Camilla's mother was the last to go. After her, the glow began to fade until it transformed into a beautiful, otherworldly purple sunset. Can't go until you clear my name. A familiar voice sounded in the woods behind us. I turned to see Henry Briarwood watching Camilla and me from a distance. I'll open the case as soon as I can, I promised him, feeling the all-encompassing guilt of having cost an innocent man not only his freedom, but his life as well. I'm so sorry. Briarwood gave me a brief nod before disappearing back into the woods. I really screwed that up, I told Camilla as we walked back to the pickup. No one's perfect, Paulie. You did the best you could. I heard my uncle's voice ring through the woods, and I stopped dead in my tracks, peering into the dark trees either side of me. Did, did you hear that? I asked Camilla, who kept walking in front of me. Hear what? She threw me a question glance. Nothing, I said, shaking my head and smiling as I followed my wife out of the woods. Was that the end? That is the end. Oh, that was so, that was so that was a good one. Yeah, it was. Wow. Did you enjoy that, Mada? No, it was completely different to the 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 the, the Allison one that we yeah, first did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
There's no carbonara in this one, though. Well, there... <laughs> no, but there is a semi-automatic pistol. There's many semi-automatics. <laughs> I know. I, I really just... enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was that was that's the kind of one that they it could should be made into a film or something. Yeah, like I think this person's writing style is just it's so much. There, okay, there was quite a lot of it where I'm like, yeah, you don't need to put all this stuff in. But other parts of it, and I'm thinking, actually, this is this is actually amazing. Like the way that their writing is almost professional. Um, but yeah, I I think the first one it was more horror and spookiness. Then this one I think is more supernatural kind of feeling, and it's not as like dark. Obviously, no. there were dark bits and creepy parts, but there was no, you know, Alison attacking her ex-husband. Well, um, this is true. But yeah, I think, and also that ending is quite a good way to wrap it up, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it would have been nice for him to have gone back to the town and completely, like, get the case, like, completely changed and yeah. Yeah. clear Briarwood and stuff like that. Um but it's one of those one of those feel good endings, isn't it? Like, mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's always good that it was um, quite a recent. Obviously, talking about COVID and stuff, it's quite a relatable thing. Mm, definitely. Matt, definitely. I um, I can reveal. Next week, we will start a new story. Excellent. Can we have a teaser on the name, please? The name is Confessions of a Twitch Girl. Oh, God. <laughs> and I will not be doing the voice. <laughs> Fantastic. And that's all we've got time for this week. Well, so good. Well, it's not. Oh, I've been, I've been halted in my tracks. You have indeed. We've got to do an outro song, of course. Of course. The only way to end. This one is a personal favourite of mine. You are aware of it. Mm -hmm. And I can't promise that I'm only going to read a few lines of this. I might read the whole song. We'll see. Dear Lord. Where has that old friend gone? Oh, my God. Lost. In a February song. Tell him it won't be long. Yes, Joshy G. Till he opens his eyes. Opens his eyes. Where is that simple day? Before colours broke into shades. And how did I ever fade into this life into this life and I'm going to end it just before the chorus because part of me now just really wants to <laughs> belt out no, the chorus honestly, that gives me that takes me back to driving those country roads um with you and just singing this out at the top of our lungs like it's it, honestly this is this is if pe people ask me what kind of music do I listen to and like that is the definition of music of music for me like it's just I don't think I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna assume, Sir Gobble, that right. 50, if we say we've got fifty 
for example, if we had 50 people listen to this outro, yeah. I'm going to assume that only two of us, me and you, know this song. I think so. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. But it's a shame because Josh Groban is... I think it, he's got such a, a good voice, but at the same time, like it's a voice that I can get to that. He's... What's it, a voice? The best way to do it is, Agora. Like, so if you sit up straight, Mm-hmm. And then if you put your hand in front of you, flat, and then put your hand into, say, just above your belly button, yeah, and sort of squeeze into your stomach and push yeah. your chest out, yeah, that's how you would reach that those notes, yeah. But yeah, that was Josh Groban February song for those of you who would like to listen to it. Yes, so Matt Dyer, yeah. Matt Dyer favorite. Yeah, but it's come to my least favorite part of the episode, Matt Dyer, where we have to say goodbye. Oh, I don't want to say goodbye. Yes, I know, I know. But just like our viewers, viewers, listeners. You can also get your Salmon Antics fix in the meantime. Would you like to know how? I would love to know how, Sekora. By visiting our socials. You can find us on Facebook at the Salmon Antics podcast. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok, which is at Salmon Antics. What on earth are you doing? What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm supposed to say those bits. Yeah, no, but I couldn't get the segue to kind of... Oh, well, all right, right. You, yeah, you, like... you, you crack on. I'll just leave, shall I? All right, see you next week, everyone. Bye. And if you're archaic, you can send us an email, which is the Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, you can find us on Acast because we are members of the Acast Creator Network. Yes, we are. And all that's left to say is... We'll chat to you next week, and Matt will have more of an exit role. Ta-da.